Thank you so much for being here, and thank you for the invitation. It's a great privilege to stand here. Uh, it was 1972. I sat in a class. We didn't have Truett Seminary yet. Uh, Ray Summers stood in a class and opened up a Greek New Testament. Began to read straight out of a Greek New Testament and allowed the text to speak for itself. It changed my life. I, I could barely breathe. I couldn't imagine anything with more dignity than helping other people hear God speak through his word. So um, I've been different since then. I'm glad to be back to speak to you today. I want to introduce Josh Vaughn. He's formerly associate and a friend at First Baptist in San Antonio. He's still my friend, but he's now the pastor at Columbus Avenue three weeks ago. Everything I'm about to say about being a pastor, he has seen, and both the good and the bad of it, he has seen. And so, Josh, thanks for coming today. In Ephesians chapter 4, I hope your Bible is open. In Ephesians chapter 4, after 20 or 25 years of public ministry, the Apostle Paul lands in a Roman jail. And for the first time since this adventure began, he has time to think. He's never had time to think. He's just been absolutely immersed in the missionary life of the church. As a result of that imprisonment is what some consider the deepest reflection on the Christian life in the whole Bible. It's the book of Ephesians. In one sentence of that dear, thick, honest letter that we call Ephesians, he writes, Pastors are a gift from God to the church that he gave us to them. The larger subject here is grace. Uh, You know from your studies that the word is charis. And whether it's translated gift or whether it's translated grace into English or used in a verbal form as he gave or he gives, it's always the same word. The idea is this enormous insight that God, the center of the universe, the creator of all, is in his very heart generous. He's a, he's a giver. He moves toward the lostness of people with a solution and by his involvement. The reason God loves a cheerful giver is because he himself is a cheerful giver. The reason we are not selfish as Christians with our own needs, we never get hunkered down living only for self and our own success. The reason we don't watch as spectators on the brokenness of the world is because he did not. We have become, we share that part of him, that that attitude toward life that we would also be givers and that we would be cheerful about it. Um, When God wants to fix uh, a problem, he moves toward it. He moves toward it in contribution and in gift and so calls us to do the same thing. One of the things that God gives to people is people. Uh, The Old Testament story of Moses, God working in that man's life, he's, he's conflicted with guilt and the failure and the lostness of his life and how much he's wasted those original visions. When God worked in him and sent him back to those people, it was a gift. So I, I would just like to say when he worked in your life and, and my life, it was a gift too. He was using you, preparing you to send you into a world of need. And it was the part of the same, the same cloth, the same fabric, God's great love working in your life as he called you. Early, I didn't understand in the Ephesians passage why it has two names, our office, this particular office. Apostle is just one word, evangelist is one word, but ours is pastor-teacher. It's sort of like when the church calls somebody and you're going to be 
youth and music, or you're going to be um, missions and senior adult, and it always is that way. Well, it became clear to me later that the reason the church trusts me when I lead is because I have taught them. The reason they trust me when I stand in the office to shepherd and move them into safety is because they have listened to me teach the word week by week. Like a child who intuitively trusts her mother, because she receives from her nourishment, all this is in an intuitive level, no child can think that way, but she intuitively moves toward her mother So the church turns to the pastor from whom she hears the word of God taught week after week. That's a great advantage, a great advantage. It's part of the DNA of the office that God is going to send you to to do. Early on at First Baptist Church in San Antonio, there were many who did not trust me. Uh, I won't go into the long history of that church, but it's, it was sad. And there were many people who had just kind of built up distrust for any leadership position. Some, to be fair, opposed me just on principle because it was me who wanted it. It was just one of those sad moments. But I didn't know then, and I would eventually find out, that eventually the pastor does win Over time, the church begins begins to trust you because you have taught them God's word. They have sat in a room like this and heard the Holy Spirit whisper into their hearts the very things they need so much. Now, that truly is a need for every believer. Jesus used to say, um, man doesn't live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. This is is the very essential point characteristic of the Christian life. If you cannot hear God, you cannot live the life that's been promised in the New Testament. If you cannot hear him speak to you, not an audible voice, but if you cannot perceive from his communication a path that he is asking you to walk with dignity and joy, uh, you cannot walk and so uh, that life. Now, it may sound to you like a a competitive power play, but I don't think it is. I get the priesthood of the believer. I do. But if a church runs you off as a pastor, they'll be looking for somebody else pretty quickly. No church ever does well without a leader. Uh, The church needs you. That's not a head trip that a pastor goes on. It's an essential part of the equation of the people of God. And so our part of that equation is to teach. So when I spent time with the text early on, I... I've been grateful for my years I, as a pastor, very grateful, because I have the fairly ordinary gifts. Early on, I would say to the Lord, I can't. I, I'm not funny. I'm not dynamic. I just cannot do this. And, but he would continue to press, and so that I, I realized if I would study, if I would study, if when I stood up and I had the best of my ability, I could say, thus saith the Lord, then they still don't think I'm funny, but they move toward me. They, they, their hearts softened, and I realized. And so I, I realized if I would sit with a text and let it speak to me. If it spoke to me first, and as Paul said, study to show yourself approved a workman who doesn't need to be ashamed 
rightly dividing the word, the word of God so that it kind of breaks off into its, like a diamond cutter. If you know right where to hit it, it just breaks into its right pieces, a real meal that people can eat. They don't need slabs of meat thrown at them. They, they need meals where you could say, thus saith the Lord. And then I realized that um, I could do that. For 18 years, it's been my prayer. I've prayed for a miracle on McCullough. McCullough is the address of my church. Interestingly enough, it was, it's named after the first Presbyterian minister in our city, and that's a different story. But anyway, um, what I realized is I could hardly expect a miracle to be working in the people of God if my preaching didn't have that same quality. If there was nothing miraculous about what happened when I stood to open up God's word and nobody heard God speak and they were just glad it was over, then how could I expect a miracle to be cooking in their hearts? So our part in this design, God sent pastors. And by the way, this is not narrowed to what we call a pastor. This really began for me when I was a youth minister. It continued on when I was a single adult associate. There's really almost no office that can't use these same giftings to help the people of God look at what they're looking at. See what this eternal mind is saying to us and then walk that path with great joy. Here's the second thing, though. We are gifts to the church, but there's a great price to it. Would you turn in your Bible where Claire read 2 Corinthians 4? I want you to see that with your eyes again. 2 Corinthians 4. Paul is thinking about ministry. and In verse 7, he says... um, We have this treasure in earthen vessels, however, so that the surpassing greatness of the power might be of God and not from ourselves. We are afflicted in every way, but we're not crushed. We're perplexed, but we never give way to despair. We are persecuted, but we're not left alone. Even God, the Spirit, is near us. We're struck down, but just not destroyed. Uh, So he concludes in verse 12 to say, Death works in us. We feel it, but life works in you. Um, You will feel, I suspect, the clay potness of this call. I do. You will feel probably ordinary at times, uh, a bit brittle, and maybe more than than a bit brittle. Uh, You will feel, I I certainly have, inadequate for the task, as Paul will later say, who is adequate for this? Who in the world could do this job? Particularly in the face of the multiple demands that you will face of worship planner, staff developer, conflict mediator, grief counselor, public speaker, wedding planner, vision caster, and prayer warrior. And that's Monday of your your week. Behind the pressure, however, and it's often behind that pressure, I sense a spiritual reality. That God who exalted us to speak this message and lead his people has also humbled us by allowing a certain set of difficulties into our life to which we must attend. These difficulties are not things against which we can complain or retreat. They must be faced with Christian grace and courage on your knees and by the power of the Holy Spirit because it is more there than any other place that your people will learn the life of Christ from you. It is more at that place when they see you retreat to your knees in prayer 
and find courage for the battle ahead and stand again and lead with a broken heart, as Kipling said, and stoop to build it up with worn-out tools. It is more there than any other place that they will see the very life of Christ working in you. It's something that Paul finally resolved in his heart. Death works in us. It just does. But life, I see life working in my people, and that's a trade I'm willing to make. What I'm warning against is a kind of CEO, secular success model for ministry, where your people struggle, but you never do. Where your sheep are out in the cold, but you aren't, not if you can help it. I think that one of the reasons that God judged Moses when his anger flashed, that old enemy of his, and he struck that rock and spoke to those people, you rebels, and he let it get the best of him, is because along the lines of that tension, that burden born with grace, that cross carried with dignity and joy and hope for a joy that is ahead of us, I think that's where the pastor does his best work. Have there been times when I wanted to preach with anger and out of frustration? Yes. Have there been times that it was all I could do not to retreat in resentment and say, I never signed up for this kind of treatment? Have there ever been times that I felt like I was treated unfairly by people who had issues with God and it wasn't even about me, but I was just the nearest representative? Yes. But was there ever a time that I felt like it was the Spirit of God for me to take that rod and strike those people? No, I never did. For Pete's sake. (laughs) Here is the good news. For 30 years, my, my story has been the same as Paul's, and that is in verse 16. Therefore, he says... We, he makes it larger than himself. He's got a band of people around him that are learning this same lesson. We don't lose heart. This is not going to get the best of us. Though our outer man is decaying, we see the price is being paid every day in in ministry. Yet our inner man is being renewed day by day. This momentary light affliction is producing something. That's the sweetest of all things. He, He senses that... What he does here is producing something in eternity, something real and lasting and permanent. And this is momentary in light. That is lasting and good. And he said, here's my part of it. While we look at unseen things, while we look there, then in flowing comes the Spirit of God renewing again that call, that desire to do this uh, one more day, one more hour, one more sermon, one more lost person to speak to about eternal things. It is that uh, in the quietness that the pastor experiences the Lord's renewal, that renewal to the great honor that it is for having anybody call you pastor, having anybody say that I heard God speak to me today through you. Uh, And not just me, it's been the church itself who's experienced that renewal. Uh, First Baptist San Antonio, we were 600 when I got there some years ago. We're 1,500 now, and we're every color and language. We're Korean and Korean Chin and Burmese and Hispanic and Anglo. We are young and old. We're male and female. There is this multicultural sense of the Lord. Uh, I, I, I've come to believe that 
God not only renews people but institutions. That there's, there's, you, you get to build the walls back. You get to put the wall back up together. And that also is part of what it means to serve a city and the Savior. The church today, and I do this with great joy, has that quirky, tense, healthy, unfinished, joyful sense of New Testament life. It's kind of got that thing happening where you sense that the Lord himself is active in people's life and there's absolutely no limit to what may happen next. It was to that that I think God sent me. In 1 Timothy, Paul will say, if any one of you aspires to the office of overseer, that's just one of his names for this person who's going to manage that, the life of the people of God. If you, if you want that, if you, if you, if down the deep of your heart, that's really all you ever wanted to do was help people get forward in Christ. He said, it's a good thing. It's a good thing. I think I'm saying the same. When God called you, put in your heart a desire to help people forward in their faith. That was one of the ways he was giving to the world. He was going to send you. Let's pray together. So you who came, you who did not sit in safety but came, now send us. Send us into... Uh, imperfect churches with broken people with a message of that renews that makes new uh, you lord who taught us this pattern with your life that there would be a cross and then there would be vindication that we would know the uh, fellowship of your sufferings and the power of your resurrection and we would know both of those so give these friends uh, strength Call us again. Tell us again what a good thing it is that you were doing by sending us to sending us out. We love you in Jesus' name.